0: Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson, and welcome to season three of the Functional Health Podcast. I'm trained in both biomedical science and nutrition, and I firmly believe that a holistic and functional approach to health is fundamental to our well-being. I interview some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine, from practitioners to professors and everyone in between. With this podcast, I will share with you their stories, their expertise, and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives and providing you with simple tips and tricks to help improve your health from today this week i'm delighted to share with you my conversation with dr rosie daniel rosie is an integrative medical doctor who has held medical director roles at several institutions including the bristol cancer help center Today we focus on the mind-body connection and the emotional and also the spiritual needs of individuals when they're healing or in times of stress. So, without further ado, Rosie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Um, so I've introduced you a little bit before. Um, you're, you're a GP. How did you get interested into this area specifically?
1: Well, actually, Ben, uh, I was trying very hard not to be a doctor because my father, mother, brother, grandfather, uncle and um, aunt were all GPs. Um, I wanted to do almost anything else. But during my teens, my best friend had an irritable bowel condition, like an ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. And I noticed the way that when she got upset and anxious and frightened, it flared up. And when she got happy and excited and fell in love, it went away it really seemed to me that there was a connection between her mind and her body. And at the time I started looking for what I was seeing and I couldn't find anything until I finally found this idea in acupuncture um, of the mentals, how the mentals were affecting um, health. And what I was witnessing is what we would now call the mind-body connection, Um, but this led me on and um, I started down that path towards studying acupuncture but so many people, we are talking way back now, um, in, the, in the sort of 70s, 80s, so many people were saying, oh, you don't want to study that acupuncture, rubbish, don't waste a brain like yours on, on all that, uh, you know, stup- stupid stuff. And I realized that um, actually if I was going to uh, have any kind of role as a bridge between these worlds, I would have to study as a doctor. So my interest in in things holistic predated my medical training. I went back into medicine, but during that time, I started to run a health food shop while I was a medical student. I turned it into a, um, a complementary center, health center. And even then, I realized it was still medical model. It was still me, therapist, you patient. And I realized there was a whole other dimension to health and healing and I didn't really find it until eventually in 1985, once I was qualified, I found the absolutely amazing Penny Braun, uh Centre, what was called the Bristol Cancer Help Centre back in those days. And I started seeing this extraordinary thing of people getting well from the inside out once they started to pay attention to the state of their emotions, their mind, their stress and their spirit, you know, whether they had become dispirited, lost, bored, you know, or even broken spirited. And as I saw people um, reviving and getting clear about their purpose and their meaning in life and, and healing emotions and reducing stress, I saw some unbelievably incredible healing happening.
0: When you see say, say healing, are you are you talking healing on like a, a mental level, emotional level, physical level? You know, what do you mean by that? Can you just contextualize well, it? All
1: of the above. Um, what? A, but of course, the thing that people with cancer are in are interested in is is physical healing. You know, they want the cancer to go into remission um, and stop, um, and they want to recover and and i can most definitely say that um of course this is part of a spectrum as you well know because we're also looking at the role of, of 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 nutrition and of environment and so forth but um i would say my primary interest is in the healing the physical healing that can take place if you address the state of the mind and the state of the spirit
0: okay fantastic and it's the The way that you've come at it is so different, I guess, because many people that I speak to in this field have normally trained, were interested in medicine first and foremost, and then have trained in other modalities afterwards. But you're coming at it kind of from a different scenario. So whilst you were doing your medical degree, you were always interested in this side to begin with.
1: And I got a lot of flack for it, yes. I was described <laughs> as the, the, the woman who knitted her own yogurt and, you know, the the hippie, hippie Rosie and all the rest of it. But, um, no, it definitely that decision um, actually put me on a 13-year training journey from the time mm-hmm. I witnessed my friend going through this um, emotionally related illness um, through to being able to practice um, because, you know, there were the O-levels, A-levels, medical... I did a physiology degree uh, as an intercalated year, then the house jobs and the GP training and and so forth. So, yeah, (laughs) it was quite a journey. And then the the learning of all the integrative medicine side of things began because that's a whole other speciality um, not yet recognized as a medical speciality in this country. But it is definitely a huge speciality in its own right
0: Absolutely. So when you talk about the mind-body connection, it might be hard for people to understand like what that really means. What kind of techniques did you use when you were first starting out, for example, and how did that influence your practice as a GP?
1: Okay, well, I think let's just roll it back a bit and sure. talk first about the thing everybody understands, which is the effect of stress and fear mm-hmm. on the body. So the bottom line is we are hardwired for fight and flight if we get frightened. So this is a primitive response. If you're being chased by a tiger, you you, you have to think and you have to run like hell. And that happens because your body switches on all the adrenaline and the cortisol and you're pumped um, and and uh, you're able to have this incredible response. But um, whilst that is happening, all the resources of the body are switched away from digestion absorption healing immunity growth repair so all the housekeeping functions of the body are put on one side because if you're being chased by a tiger digesting your breakfast or healing a a cut or all these things are secondary even healing a cancer is academic if you're being chased by a tiger Mm -hmm. Um, now what's supposed to happen is that you get away from the tiger or you get eaten in which game it's game in which case it is game over, but let's imagine we get away from the tiger and everything um, goes back into, um, you switch out of sympathetic nervous system, um, arousal across back into parasympathetic, let go, restore, self-healing state. So the body literally switches over so that your digestion starts to work again and, and all those healing and immune functions. Now, the problem, as you've probably guessed, in, in this day and age is that most of us are in a state where it's like we're being chased by the tiger the whole time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: whether it's the bank manager, the lists, the debts, the this, the that, you know, um, and or, or, or not only external stresses, but another huge thing is self-stressing. So what bars do we set for ourselves? What things have we learned? Um, from parents, from schools, from the government, you know, about doing more and working harder and achieving. And, you know, so um, that combination of both external stress um, coming at us and the stress we generate for ourselves can put us into an almost permanent state of of adrenal um, activity, you know, so sympathetic nervous activity. And then when bodies... um, adrenalized and full of cortisol the immune system goes down and you can literally see this if you drip a um, tiny drop of adrenaline into a petri dish full of white blood cells they literally freeze they stop working so um this is this is hardwired into our system and this is why you know when we are very stressed um and exhausted in adrenal fatigue that um, we get lots of coughs and colds and and, and illnesses uh, through the winter mm-hmm. and, and uh, yeah so so that that's a very primary thing and so the first set of techniques that are used in the mind body field are to learn how to relax so how to get the body out of fear and that's usually done through um, mm-hmm. through breathing through relaxation exercises. Through messages, um, getting you to sequentially let go of tension from your scalp, your eyes, your jaw, right down through the body to get the breathing working again, um, and to give you a sense of, of safety. Actually, you know the, those techniques help people to feel safe again. Um, but you know that that's a putting a sticking plaster on it. What you what you really have to, uh, as a mind body doctor, is look at with people is um what um, what are those drivers? what are those messages? what are those uh, scripts that people are um, working to because very often they've become unconscious you know I'm I might be setting my bar so high um, to please a parent who may not even be around anymore you know it's just become a like faulty computer software, you know, right. it, you may be still trying to please a a parent or a teacher or um, you know some somebody that impressed you once upon a time, so a lot of us are running on very outdated software in that respect, and and need to you know need to have a reset.
0: I like the analogy. It's like you're putting pressure on yourself, even though the reason for that pressure isn't there anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. incredibly interesting.
1: So, and, and then if you look at the, you know, if you ask most people what are the, the, the stresses, they might they'll they may say money. But how, how high have they set the bar for what they think they should have, you know, in terms of holidays or cars or um, furnishings for their house? And, and there we can get hypnotized by the marketeers you know we can be we can be being told that we're not cool unless we've got the latest trainers or coat or car or whatever mm-hmm. and so that sort of striving that state of striving um can can just be uh going on the whole time or another way of looking at it is startle um if we were very frightened as little little ones you know if we had scary parents or unpredictable parents or you know perhaps if there was violence or um, a lot of alcohol or drugs in the house and things were unpredictable then again um, that can set the nervous system in a state of constant um, trigger you know that sort of triggering of of um, uh, adrenal activation
0: fight and flight. Absolutely and I actually want to touch upon that with you more in depth in a second. But you, you mentioned striving. And um, I find it really interesting because people always, um, well, when I speak to my friends about this, some people will say, I want to reach this goal and then they can relax. Or I want to reach this level of, of financial security and then I'll be happy. And then I would have achieved it. But I'm always like, that goal will always change. As soon as you've reached that, you will push the bar higher. No one's ever happy. If you if you set yourself up for being like, I just need to get here, and then I just need to get there, you will always be pushing the bar, and you will never truly be happy. You need to be happy in the now, if that makes sense. And if it, it, you...
1: it does, but just to recognize that the first bit of stress we experience, there's a thing called the Nixon's stress curve, which shows that up to a certain point, stress is healthy, mm-hmm. and, and at that point, it's called challenge.
0: Yes. So,
1: um, there's, a, there's a level of stress where we are trying our hardest and, and, and doing our best and a little bit stretched where our performance is going to go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then what the Nixon's stress curve shows is you get to a peak of performance where extra effort actually starts to take your performance down and then you go down towards burnout, by which point you're exhausted. Um, your adrenals are um, in fatigue, your thyroid may have gone into fatigue and um, actually it can take a long time to get back from there because confidence, self-esteem, um, you know, can go uh, as well and, and very often um, if people get to that point, a stress-related absence from work can be on average 28 days but it can be as much as two months, you know, so um that's rec- for people to recognize um if they've got uh self stressing tendencies and to work with a good um coach or or um other kind of psychological therapist to actually um set some put put in some new software to get some yeah. decide actually. That perhaps well-being and happiness and and um, satisfaction, gratitude, these other sorts of feelings might be more important than you know getting to that that high-level goal.
0: Yes, yes, I would I would completely agree, and almost the idea of like rather than enjoying the idea of the goal, almost enjoying the challenge to get there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and learning what's what's healthy challenge where you feel great. And you feel excited and motivated or um, a kind of challenge where it's just become um, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And the worst kind of stress uh, has been found to be stress over which we have no control. Right. So um, one scientific study found that in the uh, civil service that the people at ranks one, two, three who had more responsibility had lower stress markers than people in ranks you know, uh, going down from there four five six seven, and they worked it out. it's because when you have um, when you have responsibility with power, when you are in charge of your agenda, when you can say, "No, we're not doing this today, we'll actually focus on that mm-hmm. you have you have some control over your stress, but if you're the person where your desk is just do this, do this, do this oh and do this and do this and do this and and it just keeps coming at you in a relentless tide of, um, of pressure, you know, that is really soul-destroying and, and um, grinds people right down and, and uh, they get to be in more risk of everything, really, heart disease, asthma, stress-related illnesses, um, yeah, So and, and, and obviously susceptibility to infection.
0: I think that's so important to to kind of emphasize that our mental state and the way we perceive that stress can have a biochemical response and that's a that's another thing which I'm, I'm aware of now more so than ever people can go through the same scenario and have very different res- responses to the same scenario and that's almost that resilience to that specific stressor whether it be a a um, a passing of a loved one in the family or whether it be a challenging um, part of a job for example how do you f- see people respond or people's perceptions of stress in a clinical setting and how does that relate to to outcomes as well
1: well that's um, quite a complicated question but I guess if, it is sorry <laughs> if, if we unpack that a bit um, uh, there's there's the question of our emotions as well so we've looked at you know the pure, the effect of threat and mm. stress, but the other thing is um, our emotional life and our emotional health. And um, there's a group in Bristol who've described what they call the human givens, which are a set of emotional needs which are as necessary as oxygen and food and water. You know, um, we all have needs for love, for reassurance, for recognition, for attention. Um, and affection, and um, when we don't get these things, um, we can get hurt, um, and obviously we can learn um, pain. We can learn emotional pain, and and situations can become emotionally charged for us. Um, so we can become sensitised emotionally to to given. Things So, um, you, you know, people can become hypersensitive to criticism or, you know, even even a boss raising an eyebrow if you, you know, can, can trigger a sort of whole cascade of, of emotional um, response. So um, that's another whole part of this is understanding emotional health. And um, so, you know, stress is the first big chapter of this story. The next one is um, knowing how we are emotionally and knowing if we are getting our emotional needs met, because if those human givens are not being met, then that is going to cause problems one way or another, either with um, us making uh, not so great attachments, uh, dependencies on people, dependencies on food, on booze, on drugs on addictions like gambling or sex or things that might give us a a, a short fix a a reward Mm -hmm. um, but actually isn't meeting those really uh, baseline needs for for love and safety and security um, which is as I say totally primary so in a mind body um, when you work as a mind body doctor you're really looking to see first of all can a person express their emotion? Because what we found is that if people repress emotion, that suppresses um, the, the systems of the body. And actually, there are there are given emotions that are linked to different parts of the body. This is known about in Chinese medicine. So when, we, when we're full of grief, it, it can hit our lungs. Um, when we're full of anger, um, it can hit our stomach and our liver. If we're full of disappointment um, and fear it can hit our kidneys mm-hmm. and if we're full of bitterness um, often our pancreas and our spleen can be affected and that might, might all sound a bit trite um, you know I know um, there are whole books on sort of what it means if if I've got a pain in my ear or my toe You know, it, it can go a bit far that model but um, there are some very Big links between the the repression of certain kinds of emotion and conditions of certain part, parts of the body, and all of this came really alive um, during the 80s and 90s when the science of psychoneuroimmunology mm-hmm. came into picture. Um, people like Dr. Candace Pert, who wrote a fantastic book called The Molecules of Emotion, because they started to work out. They first of all discovered enkephalin or endorphin which is the natural opiate which is secreted um, uh, in, in response to certain feelings but since that time they have discovered hundreds of what they call informational substances that are secreted in response and these are not neurotransmitters that go across synapses in nerves that was how we thought before all of the nervous impulses went across the synapses what they discovered is that these small molecules of emotion are secreted um, both by nervous tissue and by all the other kinds of tissue, that there's a massive communication system. And for example, if you cry tears of joy, they have different um, molecules of emotion than tears of fear or anger. Mm -hmm. And when you are unhappy, you're hemoglobin can actually carry less oxygen than when you're happy um so That's
0: astonishing i did not know that
1: yeah so how i now start to see it is that if the sun comes out you know if we're all outside and the sun is shining that the, the plants and the trees all start um photosynthesizing they get busy and they start to metabolize and um produce more carbohydrates and and metabolites and oxygen. Well, our cells are the same. Um, when when we are um, inspired and excited, our our metabolism g's up, and um, we literally the body functions in a different way under the influence of different emotions. So I I now call this love light. You know, so when you are when you're lit up on the inside by things you love. Um, actually all the machinery of the body works completely differently to if you're sad and depressed and blue.
0: That's so interesting. I'm just, I'm just I don't know why my, my mind went there. Uh, but I was thinking all the athletes should be watching a comedy show before psyching themselves up for a race or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it, it makes my job really easy because actually the thing that brings people into the healthiest metabolic state is is happiness mm-hmm and passion and excitement and and doing the things that they love and um so one of the very first questions i ask people is what do you love you know what do you love in your life what turns you on what really gives you a big buzz um uh you know and and quite often people had a, had a hobby or a passion or a thing they used to do when they were younger and then they got to be a boring old git you know, doing, <laughs> doing something they don't like anymore and the whole system kind of drooped and, and, and didn't work so well. But the, the most obvious example of this mind-body connection is, is um, when we fall in love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, probably everybody listening has, has maybe fallen in love once And, you know, the way that the metabolism speeds up, we're not hungry, we lose weight, um, we feel like we can live on air. Um, That's a really good example of the mind-body connection working. And another simple one is if you just imagine now cutting, getting a nice yellow lemon out of a bowl of fruit and cutting it in half and then putting it against your mouth and squeezing it. Is anything happening? (laughs) So the minute you minute you think about that lemon, oh goodness and that sort of tart juice hitting your mouth, um, your saliva starts to flow so if people say oh it's it's a load of rubbish you know that's a that's just an instant uh, thing that happens if you if you know if you imagine certain things and it starts to um, make a make a physical response in the body so that's really the third big element of this approach is that we then use this power of the mind-body connection to actually create favorable um, metabolic conditions in the body. And the techniques that we use there are um, imaging, visualization and affirmation.
0: Just before we go on to that, you mentioned um, certain emotional needs not being met and that causing certain detrimental things to happen in that purpose person's life whether that's dependencies on drugs for example or other issues could you give an example of emotional need not being met and how we can hopefully help prevent that
1: okay so if we go for the basics you know love attention affection recognition so um, if a person is working away in a in a an office, and you know never gets any any well done never gets any how are you Mm. never gets any affection or never gets treated as if they matter um what are they going to do you know by the end of the day that that real person in there is going to be screaming you know because that that person hasn't had any real human connection um in a whole day so what are they going to do they're going to go and hit the bar and have three glasses of sauvignon blanc or you know three pints of pints of beer or um you know go and hit the betting shop to get some sort of emotional lift or a great big bar of chocolate Mm -hmm. they apparently they have timed how long it takes for certain sweets to cause a dopamine release in your brain a pleasure release yes that's how cynical the um design of candy you know sweets are um, they know that um, people want that that bliss you know that bliss feeling. and uh, so um, whether these are behaviors that distract or um, give us a chemical buzz, um, you know give us a chemical lift or you know food um, with the dopamine, um, et cetera, you know these are these are substitution activities.
0: Yeah. It's,
1: you know, when people are very happy and satisfied, often they don't, you know, they don't need all these things.
0: And I suppose something which I don't hear I don't hear very much being spoken about a lot is touch. How much does touch play into this this whole scenario?
1: Massive, massive. Um and uh as Brits, we're pretty rubbish at touch. You know, I I saw this study that said um that over the course of a lunch engagement that Italians touch each some, each other something like 360 times, um, the French about 290, the Germans about 150, and the British, six. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. we, we're very reserved, we might sort of shake hands or give somebody a kiss, and then we sit on the other side of the table, whereas... Um, you know, the Italians will be connecting all the time, touching, touching the arm, touching the hand, um, touching the cheek, uh, just to all the time give people that reassurance. I'm here. I'm with you. And, and, and that sort of make it, making of connection.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that skin on skin connection is vital. It's the first way we receive security as a baby is hopefully is that skin on skin connection.
0: It's really interesting because I'm wondering people which are described as tactile in the UK would not be in these other countries.
1: (laughs) Maybe Maybe. they'd probably be just, just coming onto the scale of, of normal. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 300 numbers. Very surprising to me, but very interesting.
1: Yes. Yeah. It is absolutely um, immense. The difference culturally.
0: I'm going to have to count now next time I'm in a meeting. <laughs> next time you, yeah, next time yeah. you see somebody. Yeah, see some friends. Um, and and you, you jumped to, um, actually, just before we jumped to treating these through the mind-body connection, um, I wanted to get your opinion on the differences, because we talked about stress before, between meditation and mindfulness and how they differ and the efic- efficacy of them both to help deal with stress.
1: Okay, so mindfulness is it has come out of meditation. Um, it's kind of meditation light, if you like. Okay. Um, so, so meditation has come out of um, most of the esoteric traditions of the East. Be that uh, yoga, uh, or, or, or be that Tai Chi, or um, the the idea that you learn how to still your mind. So. Um, If you go up the tree of self-help techniques, if you relax, you are learning to get fear out of the body. But when you meditate, you're you're actually learning to still the mind. Mm -hmm. So um, just at the very simplest physiological level, all these precious neuropeptides, um, you know, if you're thinking all the time and overthinking you know a lot of the younger generation because they're on their media the whole time they're on their instagrams and their snapchats and their you know facebook's um uh, thinking you know am i liked are people are people liking me and are they liking what i'm saying that that's another example by the way of displacement activity you know because people are trying to get that sense of security from a from a phone or a yes. or a tablet rather than a real person,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah. But you know, it, it, it's um, the, this this whole question of of um, getting our emotional gratification really is at the root of, of absolutely all of this. And um, but in meditation, um, you you literally give that the mind a rest so that you're not using up. Because if you think, you know, you're thinking, um, what have I got to do? I've got to do my list. I've got to do the call. I've got to do this. Oh, does that person like me? Do I look okay? You're All the time you are using up um, neuropeptide uh, substances. And it's, it, you, you can literally, like you can go into adrenal exhaustion and thyroid exhaustion, you can go into neuropeptide exhaustion. Um, I mean, one of the one of the biggest examples of that is the come down after people take um, ecstasy or MDMA,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because in a very short period of time they've used up a lot of their um, neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine and and these feel good chemicals. They kind of release them in one great big whoosh, yes. and then they wonder, you know, if they take their, their pill on on Saturday, they wonder why sort of they're still coming down on Sunday, by, by by Tuesday they are flat because they are then going through that slump where they've got none of their natural um, neuropeptides and they've got to literally build them back up again before they feel normal. Um, you know, and I, I mean, as this is such a big and prevalent thing now, I have colleagues who won't go into companies and do trainings until Thursdays and Fridays because people have got their brain back Right. By, by Thursday and Friday. So in meditation, the idea is that you, you bring your mind into that place of complete stillness, complete repose, and and that gives the whole thing chance to reboot and regenerate. So that's the physiological level. But the um, if you look at it from a more spiritual perspective, um, our consciousness um, is like the blue sky, that's infinite and goes on and on. And um, all of our thoughts and feelings and emotions are like the cloud layer that are between um, us and the blue sky. So if your consciousness is um, usually occluded by this thick cloud layer of of what's going on in your mind, you never get to see the blue sky, let alone the sun. If you learn meditation um, and bit by bit by bit you you usually anchor the mind um, be it with a following the breath looking at a candle looking at a mandala uh, repeating a mantra a sound um, so that you give the mind something to anchor so that it can just stop it it can learn to stay in one place then eventually the, the clouds break up and you start to get glimpses of the blue sky And then every now and again, the sun comes up and people get um, that amazing uplift. Um, People in all religions have meditation at the center. They talk about the kingdom of heaven being within, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the peace that passeth all understanding, that, um, you know, people can get into a very, very blissful place if they practice meditation. So what is mindfulness? Well, John Kabat-Zinn for the modern day, uh, not so very long ago, just created this idea that um of just bringing your mind into the present. So it's not like you're trying to empty the mind all together, but you're just trying to notice what's going on around you. So if I went into a mindful state right now, I can hear that my boiler's slightly humming. I can hear there's a bird. I can hear the background hiss of the recording. You know, so I'm. I'm just becoming mindful of what's happening in this present moment. Yes. So it's a nice um, step on the path to meditation, but it's, it's, it's as I say, meditation light.
0: <laughs> That's really interesting. One point which I just want to uh, revert back to is you, you, you talked about neuropeptide exhaustion. And it got me thinking, and I know this might be diving a little too deep here, so um, we'll cut it out if it's a load of rubbish, don't worry, Rosie. Um, but the idea between, speaking to my friends about this, the idea between introverts and extroverts, and if an introvert is being you um, spoken to or in social situations too much, they seem to get a little bit down on wanting to recharge. And if an extrovert is excluded from social interactions, they also get a little bit down. And I'm wondering whether that neuropeptide exhaustion would work differently in different people depending on their personality traits. It's just well, more of an observation then.
1: I think it's a different phenomenon
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because I think we, there's a spectrum of the degree of pleasure we get from people and that, and that we don't. So um, extroverts love being around people and can't stand being on their own and vice versa. An introvert loves silence, loves to be able to hear their own thoughts, finds their own company um, very soothing and pleasing. So I don't think it's so much, yes, you know, um, you might start feeling a bit miserable if you're an introvert that's in a crowd or a, an extrovert that's in a, you know, isolation, Um, but I don't think it's because of neuropeptide exhaustion. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, But, you know, one one thing, so you asked me about techniques, mind-body techniques, and I think the big ones um, are relaxation. We've mentioned getting fear out of the body Mm -hmm. by letting go. Meditation where we're stilling the mind But then there are a couple of other biggies, which is when you use the mind to create a a given state in the body. So um, they're called imaging and visualization. They overlap, but in one, you're tending to to make your own images. um, And and in the other, you're being led on a journey by somebody um, on a tape or a CD or an app. And um, so the imaging For example, for people who have cancer is that people are imaging, um, for example, one lady I was looking after for her. Her cancer was was an avalanche that had come down of rocks between two mountains. And what she did was she got sticks of dynamite and a dumper lorry and she went and blew it all up and removed the whole thing. So that was her making a visualization of all the cancer gone another lady it was um she visualized her cancer like a block of ice uh that was in her belly and she then visualized herself lying on the sand in the hot hot sun and um uh just imagining it all completely melting away and in that second lady uh actually it did all melt away she she uh, what had been a huge lymphoma about something like eight inches across went down to the point that all they could see on the scan was a scar where it had been. So um, this mind over matter side of things is is really important. Um, and, and in visualization, it might be that I'm leading you on a journey to a sunny beach or to a beautiful sanctuary, and I'm giving you more and more lovely images um, of things that are going to make you feel um, either safe and happy or excited or uh, to perceive um, a healing gift or something that, that that you might have given to you so you can take there are a lot of these things available um, and they're very powerful and and I think probably that that leads me to the core curve in the mind-body um, sort of deck of cards which is the role of belief um, because studies that have been done looking at people who survive cancer, um, where it all maps is, is around belief. So people who survive cancer um, in extraordinary ways tend to be people who believe in their own own ability to uh, heal themselves, who believe in higher the, the idea of a higher power to heal themselves, who use belief-based therapies like hypnotherapy, and who use belief-based practices like visualization and imaging and affirmation, where people make choices about how they want things to come out. So it would appear that um, going back to this idea of software and you know that people who have really strong positive belief systems and who reinforce them by um, giving themselves positive messages have incredibly different outcomes The best example of that is a study um, of a guy called Professor Leslie Walker who hypnotized ladies having chemo. Um, Half the group uh, didn't get the hypnotherapy and the other half got hypnotherapy with the message that the chemotherapy was going to cure them. And some nine years later, around 49% more ladies were alive in the group who, who had received hypnotherapy than not. I mean, that's a really powerful one. Um, so, you know, um, if you need any more convincing <laughs> of the power of the mind, um, you know, uh, that's it. And and this is why the difference, you know, if, if people go into a, uh, a very medical situation and the uh, doctor says, oh, you know, um, you're doing okay, but you know this cancer it will get you in the end, mm-hmm. you know, it, that is hypnosis. That is a negative suggestion From the voice of authority you know whereas um if people walk into the kind of place i train the the penny Bron center and, and walk into a whole building full of people that know don't just believe but that know that healing is possible then um that starts to create different beliefs and different outcomes
0: fantastic Although this isn't to do with cancer, um, I do remember something which is incredibly powerful as well. It was a, it was a study done on cleaners and it was cleaners that ha- half the group were told that they were doing exactly what um, the surgeon general's recommendations for how much exercise you should get in the day and the other half weren't. Um, and the group that were told that they were meeting the requirements, exercise requirements for the day, lost weight, reduced their blood pressure, and I will link to the study in the show notes for people to look at, but it just shows that it, it can relate to so many different aspects of your of your life and your health, um, and it really is truly powerful. And that study, Rosie, I'd love to link to that as well that you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the 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 Leslie Walker, um, he he uh, he's retired now, but he's a behavioral oncologist, and he was in Aberdeen, but then he moved to Hull and set up a whole centre. In Hull for the study of mind-body connection. Um, so that that one study I've quoted is now quite an old study, but that that team have been working ever since. So anybody interested specifically in this field should check out um, what's coming out of that whole Hull, Hull, Hull Centre. I think they call it for, for behavioral oncology or or mind-body study. You know that that would find it if you if you Googled it.
0: Brilliant. Um, and just one last thing before I jump on to, to my famous last three questions. Um, for, for listeners at home that might be struggling to to get into the, the realm of visualization, because you said these two different cancer patients had very different visual visualizations of their cancer. How would someone do that themselves at home? Maybe they're struggling with a problem or an illness themselves.
1: Yeah, well, I, I've done some CDs myself. Okay, done- brilliant. I've done one called Cope Positively with Cancer Treatment, um, which is about, because again, it's been shown that if you can visualize um, your treatment as your friend, if you can um, actually go into a, to a treatment really relaxed, that the outcomes are greatly improved. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one, Cope Positively with Cancer Treatment. The second one is called Images for Healing Cancer which has got three or four different kinds of visualization on it. So it's got that one where you see the cancer disappearing altogether. It's got another one where you see yourself completely healed. A third one where you do an important thing called repairing the timeline. Because if people get a life-threatening diagnosis, they can collapse their timeline and stop thinking they have a future. So in this um, exercise we're seeing um, where are we in one year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, fifteen years to sort of inhabit our future again? And then the fourth track is is a is a visualization where I take people on a on a healing journey. So that's images for healing cancer. And the third one is called Heal Yourself, which has relaxation, two different kinds of meditation, a compassionate meditation which is to do with the heart and a stillness meditation to do with um, resting the attention on the breath. And it's got some yoga and breathing exercises. And they all come from my health creation website. So just www.healthcreation.co.uk. There's a shop and there's a section on books and audios. And these CDs can be obtained either as hard copy CDs or as, 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 as downloads Of the tracks
0: perfect and I'll be sure to link to all that in the show notes and so one of the the questions that I ask everyone that comes on the show Rosie is what is the biggest health change that you have made in your life and why
1: okay so the biggie for me has been yoga um yeah um I came from a very mixed up family lots of distress um, didn't have all those lovely things, the security and the affection and the attention. So probably this is why I know what I know because that sent me down a path. I was really lucky to find a fantastic yoga teacher um, in South Wales called Philip Jones who happened to be an expert on pranayama, which is yogic breath um, control. And those exercises in, in terms of um in terms of uh, calming the the body, uh, learning how to control um, all these things um, second to none. So yes, do the physical part of yoga with the bendy body and the asanas, but make sure you find a teacher um, probably through the British Wheel of Yoga, um, of which I'm proud to be a patron, who um, also teaches um, meditation and pranayama. Which is um, the science
0: of breath? Fantastic. I know um, someone I follow um, called Dr. Kelly Brogan. She, she's a big fan of Kundalini yoga as well. Is that very similar?
1: It's it, it's a kind. Mm-hmm. There are um, the Kundalini energy is the energy which is seen as coming up our spines, which is the sort of interlacing serpents that you see in the Caduceus of okay. the medical staff of Hermes and. The yogis have this idea that we have seven energy centers going up our spine, which they call the chakras. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the idea we, we think that, that they perceived this interplay between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system because they call these two streams of energy Ida and Pingala, which is the sun and the moon. And so that's very like the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So I think they, they got it all mapped <laughs> um, way, way, way back, 5,000 or more years ago. They could perceive how the body worked at this more subtle level.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting look at these, looking at these kinds of ancient cultures. And you mentioned um, Chinese medicine before. A, a good friend of mine said that you can't explain Western medicine with Eastern philosophy. And the, the opposite is true.
1: Well, there are parallels, you know. Th- this um, and and the more I've studied uh, this East-West, um, the more I can see where the overlaps lie. You know, when you the yogis talk about seven chakras, well, everywhere where they've talked about there being a chakra, there's a nerve plexus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the root chakra, there's a there's a nerve plexus around the anus. There's one, um, the chakra two around our, our pelvic region, um, and then the celiac plexus is, is the third chakra. The heart is the fourth. The neck, where we have the thyroid, um, and the voice is is the fifth. The brain, etc. So, um, actually, um, they were perceiving things that are real in physiological yes. terms
0: or anatomical terms. Absolutely, hmm. super interesting. And the second question how how can healthcare become more integrated in these kinds of approaches and modalities that you've explained here.
1: Well, I think the key is that we integrate them ourselves. Um, we we cannot wait for the NHS or the orthodox med- medicine system to do so. It, it, it's getting a bit better. But as, as everybody's aware, it's drowning in, in the need of people who have uh, lifestyle illnesses like cancer and heart and diabetes. Um, so the medical system is coping with, with you know, this frontline reality of people who are gasping for breath or you know, dreadfully, dreadfully ill. Mm-hmm. What we have to do is get back to the ground and change what I call our health-defining behavior and my approach to that has been to create a system called Health Creation, which is a health coaching and mentorship approach. Um, and I train people in that approach. It's the most heartwarming, rewarding privilege to work with people at that depth because I've created tools for helping people understand how they are faring at all the levels of body, mind, spirit, and environment – Um, There's a tool called the picture of health, which is a a way to map where you're strong and where you're vulnerable and where change is needed. And some people can just go ahead and use that as a way to see where change is needed themselves. But others need a mentor. Mm -hmm. So lovely, warm, kind mentors um, engage with people at their starting point. There's no pushing or, you know, competitiveness or stupid goals that people can't reach. There's just baby steps um, day by day by day to get people stronger, happier, healthier, fitter um, with things they can achieve. Um, and uh, so that's my contribution to, to trying to make a change and get things integrated. We have to, um, our strap line in health creation is from passive health care to proactive health creation
0: to get ourselves in the driving seat. Fantastic, that's wonderful. And last but not least, can you please provide the listeners with three quick tips to help improve their health and well-being from today?
1: Number one, um, get your body alkaline. Um, uh, really slow down on eating and drinking acid foods and drinks, and that by the way, includes lemon and vinegar. It's a fallacy that lemon makes you alkaline. Get, get some litmus paper, check your salivary pH first thing in the morning. You're aiming for seven plus. Um, that will um, cut out uh, a lot of uh, inflammation, infection, and cancer. So that's a biggie. Tip number two um, would be uh, to get yourself to a yoga or qigong or, or tai chi class um to actually as they say in the hokey cokey put your whole self in you know um get uh, yourself working with these ancient techniques which which really work at all levels of mind body and spirit and my third tip would be to um move yourself up the ladder of emotion by practicing um gratitude and seeking beauty and finding the positive and There's an exercise called um, the Three Blessings, or if you have time, the Five Blessings, a Buddhist exercise where every day you share, you write down what have been your three blessings of the day, and ideally share it with your kids, your partner, um, or even get on the Skype and share it with a friend. Um, And it's been found to be as effective as Prozac in the treatment of uh, of depression. So all of us don't have to. We don't have to be victims and say, oh, "I'm so miserable. I'm unhappy." Actually, that on which you focus expands. So if you focus on that which is beautiful and gives you pleasure, and start expressing thanks and gratitude, your whole level goes up.
0: Brilliant. And to that last one, I am um, practiced the three things that you're grateful for today. And we do Ooh. that every single day. And it's it has been a huge game changer for me, I think. Absolutely. Especially well, during stressful times.
1: It's a potent thing and it's not to be underestimated. So I would say, you know, get involved with the three
0: blessings straight away. Rosie, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you I actually feel really calm haven't spoken with you now so i don't know what that is but you're just giving that, it up.
1: then is called entrainment because <laughs> when we're with a, a healer or when we're with a um somebody that meditates then we start to entrain to their vibration mm-hmm. so hopefully i've given you a bit of my calm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: brilliant right. well um Thank you so much for coming on the show, Rosie. I really appreciate your time. But before you go, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects you have coming up?
1: Okay, um, I've got three hats. I work as a doctor in Bath and my website is Um D-R, my Rosie's with a Y, R-O-S-Y, singular.org. Um, health creation is uh, where I train uh, people to become mentors and um, to in holistic health coaching. So that's um, if you want to be mentored or to become a mentor, just go to healthcreation.co.uk. And the final thing is um, the exciting new project is um, through my charity, the Health and Wellbeing Trust, and that is um, to do with providing modules of short modules of education for doctors, nurses, therapists, other healthcare professionals and the public in all these fascinating subjects. So I'm pulling together um, the world's uh, greatest teachers in a in a resource that's just gonna grow and grow and grow.
0: Fantastic, so that, that sounds that, wonderful.
1: We're, we're called Health healthelearning.online and we're launching in April, end of April. So that's a watch this
0: space, uh, we should be ready in May fantastic i'll link to that in the show notes rosie thank you so much again it's been a pleasure to speak with you and i do hope that we can do this again soon
1: absolutely ben it's been terrific thank you so much
0: thank you for listening to the functional health podcast you can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes if you have a second please consider leaving a five-star rating on itunes It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook or our website and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support.